Welcome to How Do You Do, Fellow Kids, the Cinema of Steve Buscemi, a podcast about the work of beloved actor Steve Buscemi. I'm Doug Tilly, and with me as usual is Liam O'Donnell. Today we're going back to near the beginning of Buscemi's career with the truly bizarre exploitation horror compilation film, Film House Fever. How are you doing today, Liam? Yo, Doug, I am real good. How are you? Great. I'm always great, Liam. Why do you ask me as if you don't already know how I'm doing? I don't know. Maybe there was some disaster in Canada. I figure like half the population could die up there and it wouldn't make the news cycle here. So I don't know. I, what, what's, you know what's Canada like? Are you killing moose and drinking donuts? I don't fucking know. All right. I feel like you're coming at me hard. But you know what, Liam? I think we're just both in bad moods today, don't you think? Maybe it's because of the era in which we live. Maybe it's the... The environmental destruction that's going to lead to the end of us. Maybe it's the viruses that are going throughout the world that are going to kill us. But I feel like we're both in bad moods, Liam. I mean, I was going to totally kayfabe that I was doing really well. But yeah, I'm in a terrible mood today. Although I will say, talking about Steve Buscemi, it puts me in a better mood. I feel a little bit lighter about the world because Steve Buscemi makes me happy. You know, Steve Buscemi is an actor... I think we can both agree on that. <laughs> yeah, he is. That's true. That's At least for a chunk of his life, he has been an actor. I was just going through his IMDb profile just a few minutes ago, just taking a look, just going over, just kind of um, uh, trying to predict where this podcast is going to go in the future. And I just see so much in it I enjoy. And that's such a rare thing for, say, two people who had an Eric Roberts-related podcast for a limited <laughs> period of time. Where it's just like, there's just lots on there that I like. And then there's other things where I'm like, boy, I haven't seen that. I'd like to check that out. And guess what, Liam? We are going to check it out because this is a podcast about Steve Buscemi, the actor slash director slash creative force. What I like about this is philosophically it's more interesting for me because whereas with Eric Roberts, we were obligated by a blood oath and I guess our souls are some bullshit. On this show, we are motivated by our passion and interest, that we are passionate and interested in Steve Buscemi. Now... Am I interested in all the Steve Buscemi movies? No, but I find him an interesting person who I want to see what he's done. Now, does that mean the minute that we have three episodes in a row where we watch bad things, I'm going to say we're not doing this anymore? Yes, it does, but I feel pretty good that that's not going to happen. So, Liam, you are in this for the love of the game. I am, I am, I am. I do want to say, though, speaking of our uh, former glory of Eric Roberts is the fucking man, uh, we don't have on any of these new shows a like a news bit, like a like the Roberts mm-hmm. Report. We don't really do mm-hmm. that. And, and I don't think we should. I, I don't really want to keep up uh, with everything going on in Steve Buscemi's life, but I did think it was interesting recently, speaking of things that made me happy, Steve Buscemi, Steve, our best bud, the person who we have not yet met, but we will have brunch with him and another director who will then shortly pass away, unfortunately. Uh, Under mysterious circumstances. <laughs> Stop. Uh, <laughs> he was on Bullseye, one of my favorite podcasts with uh, Jesse Thorne. And someday I will meet Jesse Thorne. And Jesse Thorne. He's and, such a phony baloney. And I will apologize to him for the first time I ever tweeted at him saying, if anyone's voice doesn't sound like how they look, it's Jesse Thorne. That was such a mean <laughs> thing to say. I didn't actually say that at him. I just put it out into the world. And then he still saw it. So that was a Whatever the point is, is that it's true. But it's the real thing is that he talked to Steve Buscemi, and I and I think it was it was a very interesting, fun conversation. Um, he talked briefly about the name of this podcast, really, because uh, Jesse Thorne asked him, you know, 
how do you feel that your enduring legacy among many young people will be the guy holding two skateboards talk saying, <laughs> how do you do fellow kids? And he was like, you know, I did so many ridiculous things in my guest appearances on 30 Rock. I don't know why that's the meme. He's like, in the moment, <laughs> that joke didn't even feel that important, but it's become such a cultural meme for people. It's, it's pretty funny. But one of the other things he talked about was him getting into acting and that he went to acting school uh basically under the suggestion of his father we've talked a little bit about how steve buscemi was formerly a firefighter and Mm -hmm. i don't know if this is still true in new york but at the time you had to take the civil service exam in order to be a firefighter and there weren't necessarily immediately openings so his dad who was a civil servant had all of his kids take the civil service exam so they'd have that option of a career somewhere in civil service so he took the exam but his dad knew you know it might be a while before a job opened up for him to actually be a firefighter so his dad encouraged his son who had dropped out of college basically to go mm-hmm. to acting school just as like to keep him in the area it was literally a ploy to help him be a firefighter not <laughs> to start a career as an actor whatsoever and when he finished this like very intense like Stanislavski acting school he still was a firefighter for four years before he was acting enough that he started his career in earnest as an actor so what i was sort of wondering and i don't even know how to research this or find out i wonder (laughs) at which point this film falls in that cycle is he now acting full-time or is he still fighting fires i don't know it's an interesting question and i have to say i'm a little disappointed that steve buscemi went on this bull's eye podcast when he could have gone on a podcast devoted entirely to him which now exists in the world well, I think there's two important issues there. One is mm. we only have one episode so far, so it's hard to imagine him knowing about this. Two is Bullseye is famous and goes out on NPR. Right? So I think mm-hmm. it's the if if we could get Cinema Smorgasbord to be part of the NPR family, then you know we'd have to curse a lot less, but it would actually get us Steve Buscemi. All right, less swearing. Get on NPR. Yeah. Okay. And we'll get Steve Buscemi on the show. Uh, I will say one of the producers of um, Fresh Air has been a guest on Cinepunks. I encourage people to go listen to that episode. It's very good. What? Maybe she could get us connected to Terry Gross, and that's our into NPR. All right. Terry, if you're listening to this right now, uh, we don't get NPR in Canada, so maybe that might be a little bit of a <laughs> hiccup in this entire plan. Do you guys get but- any American public radio shows up there? Like, Is that whole conversation, like that whole world outside your purview? Uh, well, of course, you can get anything now because I can listen to NPR. Sure, like, if yeah, I podcasts. To. But nothing gets brought. You don't have any of those. They're not importing, like, you know, public radio international shows on into Canada. Does Rick D's in the weekly top 40 count? Jesus. <laughs> uh, no, you know, I don't know if there's syndication of any programming from. Uh, public radio uh, in any part of the world. It might be. Look, I'll be totally straight with you, Liam. I don't listen to a lot of radio because it feels a little antiquated to me as a format, which, again, I know that's kind of offensive to people. Oh, um, and you don't have a car. I don't have a car. That's right. See, I don't drive. a lot of people I know who listen to NPR are people who drive places, and of NPR course. is the only acceptable option on the radio dial. If you are a human listening to this and you tell me you get in a car and you put on actual FM radio that has actual music on it with actual radio DJs. It's psychotic. I'm, I'm concerned about your sanity. Yeah, something's wrong. Absolutely. With you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because look, you can listen to any music you want. 
And you can also have playlists of music that you may not have heard of that are specifically tuned into the kind of music you like. Like, like I can understand. Look, this is 1987. You turn on the radio. You listen to whatever FM bullshit is on. But today, you have the option to listen to anything, including instead of having to just to even turn on NPR, though, and hearing whatever random program is on that, you can A, listen to recorded NPR programs that are the ones that you want to listen to, or podcasts about specific subjects that you already enjoy. So to me, it's like the idea of listening to something just randomly on NPR or on the radio in general, it just seems like something from like the mid-90s as opposed to something in 2020. To be fair, not everyone has a a, a connection to plug in. I'm not in being a, fair. I'm not being to fair. Plug in, to plug in a phone or an iPod, such as your co-host, Liam O'Donnell, who, uh, Liam, I know who that has you, to bring uh, a USB speaker into the car in order to listen to podcasts. Which is fine. It's better than what you were doing before, which is putting in headphones I still do while that. you were I still driving. do that. I was just doing Unbelievable. it Liam O'Donnell, so dangerous. What if I'm screaming at you from the street? <laughs> I still people say this to me all the time. It's so dangerous, and I'm like, I can still pe- hear people honking at me. What else am I meant to be hearing other than honks that would affect my driving? Like a siren? I can hear a siren. It's not. I don't understand what the audio input is when you're driving a car that is like <laughs> important to my life. Well, I, I also don't know about the legality in regards to it. Like, if you if a cop came by, now I know you hate cops, uh, but if sure. a cop drove next to you and saw you with earbuds, I'm in having your a ears, conversation. That's the acceptable way to take a phone call mm, while you're driving. You know what? I'm completely turned around on the subject. I don't care if you if you wear earbuds or not when you're driving around. In fact, I strongly encourage you to do it, except when your daughter is in the car. Well, let's move on from this because this has gotten really boring. Um, <laughs> so, you know, one thing I wanted to mention, yeah, uh, because I wanted to ask you because I did not listen to this Bullseye interview. Sure. So, one of the topics that we discussed on the first episode of How Do You Do, Fellow Kids, was Mark Boone Jr., who has a secondary story in Trees Lounge, the film that we discussed on that episode. And Mark Boone Jr., I guess we did talk about him and his relationship with Steve Buscemi, but I guess I didn't really realize until now that that relationship goes back basically to the beginning, that they were actually performers together. They basically did like stand-up comedy or some sort of comedic routine in the 1980s, which is why they've appeared in like a dozen films together. Yeah, he talked a little bit about how he was part of the improv and comedy scene, though even his stand-up was not really... He called it stand-up, but then when he described it, it was clearly an act. It was like a like a vaudevillian performance yes. thing that he did, mm-hmm. not just with Mark Boone Jr., but with other people he met. I think he met Mark Boone Jr. in the acting school. And so even as he was working as a firefighter, he... Again, he didn't go into as much depth on this on Bullseye as I would have liked as a as a Steve Buscemi scholar. It's okay but, when we when he comes on here, we'll ask. Yeah, him yeah, about yeah. It. But he did talk about how that through the acting school he got into performing and doing like stand up and various like uh, sort of early improv groups and things like that. And it sounded really interesting, but it was I think for him. Uh, you know, I, I I'm trying to remember exactly what he said. There was something about this where he wasn't sure if 
it was just comedy he wanted to do or being an actor. And, and I'll have right. to re-listen to the episode because, again, it's more conversational, so they didn't spend a ton of time on any of these things. But they covered a lot of his uh, sort of coming into the industry, which I found pretty interesting. But, you know, they just go at a certain pace where it's like, uh, what did he say exactly about that? I think his first thought was more that comedy was where he was going to be more than like a, a serious actor. One other thing before we hit our first break, which is that friend of the show, Scott Clevenger, he was actually the writer of a film called Frankenfish, which featured Mark Boone Jr. And he uh, shared an anecdote that Mark Boone Jr. on that movie, he wanted a crossbow, but they couldn't afford to give him one in the budget. And they've lived, he's lived with that shame ever since. Mark Boone Jr., he wanted a crossbow, couldn't get it. Liam, what do you think? Well, I mean, I don't think you can say sorry enough for that. No, I don't think so either. The film that we're going to talk about today is a bit of an oddity, Liam. Yeah, it's a... I don't even know what you would call this. It's not a anthology. It is... Uh, and it's not like horror hosting, though it has similarities with horror hosting. It is original content of a wraparound, like a front and an end, and then in interstitials in the middle. And then the majority of the content is... Um, taken from other movies and just sort of yes. cut together for humorous mm. purposes? Yeah, and, and sometimes not humorous purposes. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, 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 it's a compilation film, but it's not just trailers. It's clips from different exploitation and horror movies, but it also doesn't fit one particular genre because every once in a while you, you'll get like fantasy films being shown, sometimes stuff from the 80s, Suburbia is in here, the Penelope Spheres movie. I mean, there's a lot of, it's a real mix. It basically is whatever Vestron video I think had the rights to at that particular time, but there were a lot of these kind of movies in the 1980s, and we'll talk about, I think, some of our favorites and, and the kind of good and bad aspects of them. But before we do that, I think, Liam, why don't we take our first break? In fact, our only break. I'm so used to the two-break system. We're going to take our break. When we come back, let's talk about Filmhouse Fever from the year 1986. This is it. Check this out, man. All the movies you were ever dying to see, but were too embarrassed to pay five bucks for a film festival. All these movies for the price of one admission. All right. <laughs> You know, it makes good financial sense as well. Yeah, plus we get we get out of the house for a few hours, right? Right, 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 right. right and then we right, also get right, to mingle right. briefly with humanity. Right, 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 right. right. And then, 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 A pair of movie buffs head to the theater to watch a series of trailers and clips from exploitation films. It's Film House Fever from the year 1986, directed by Dominic Paris, uh, who actually made a couple of compilation films aside from this one in the 1980s, including Amazing Masters of Martial Arts and Bad Girls in the Movies. He was also the director of the uh, horror film Last Rites from 1980 and 1982's Splits with a Z. Look, Liam, Liam, he's a big fan of Zs, just like you are. Liam Rules on Twitter. Uh-huh. Dominic Paris, now he writes uh, CG kids movies. So, uh, you know, we all got to start somewhere, I guess. Filmhouse Fever, very interesting property. It does have, as you mentioned before the break, Liam, a wraparound segment where you have these two television-obsessed weirdos, one of them played by Steve Buscemi, one of them played by uh, Mark Boone Jr., and um, they... Finish watching television. See Buscemi decides, we got to get out of here. We need to, you know, get out into the fresh air. We need to get outside. And then they notice that there's a movie marathon on. We get a very comedic 
<laughs> segment where Mark Boone Jr. drives his car very quickly to the movie theater. And then the rest of the movie is them sitting and watching this compilation. And every once in a while, it will cut back to them. And they will say something, <laughs> something that is meant to be funny, uh, but isn't like directly referring to the screen. I mean, they're talking about it. They'll be like, that actor, that actor sucks. Or that director, what did that director do? But it seems like they just shot all of that uh, maybe improvise randomly, and it doesn't actually have anything to do. It's not like they're they're saying anything about you know Herschel Gordon Lewis or Sam Raimi or something like that. They're just kind of talking randomly about the clips that they're watching, and it's meant to be amusing. But I do think, and I'm uh, interested to get your thoughts on this, Liam, that the star of the show here is not Steve Buscemi. It's not Mark Boone Jr. It's the collection of horror and exploitation movie clips that we get to watch here. Yes and no. Some of the some of the <laughs> clips are painful uh, uh-huh. and really just like, can we move on? Knowing it's a clip makes me even more invested. In like, okay, let's let's keep it going. Let's get that uh, let's get that uh, momentum back up. I will say uh, one of my favorite parts was when the film ended and I got to see the original Vestron video logo. <laughs> 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 um, but also, uh, you know, there there are some surprises in here. I don't know if you if you want to. Uh, get more specifically into some sure, of the things. Sure, absolutely. Uh, but I mean, there's we will, one absolutely. surprise you're going to mention that actually I had to stop and rewind and got really excited about because I did not know it was going to be part of it. Before we get into the, some of the specific clips that are shown here, uh, I want to talk about this concept of, of, a, of a compilation video or a video mixtape or like trailer compilations. Do you have any kind of history with that? Because um, there was a time. This might be hard to believe, listeners, if you're a little bit younger than Liam and myself, which I'm sure you would have to be, um, (laughs) where movies were not as available to a lot of people. And me, again, I grew up in a small town. I only had what was available in my local video stores. Uh, Even even going out to, quote unquote, the big city wouldn't give me a lot of availability. So sometimes uh, compilations like this were the only way that I ever got to see clips from, say, a Herschel Gordon Lewis movie or some of the obscure horror movies that were not uh, directly available to me. Do you have any experience with that at all, Liam? Um, not really. I mean, the the first thing like that I saw were actually rip-off copies of things that were like sketch movies, you know what I mean? Mm. So I, I didn't know. Like the first time I watched Groove Tube, I thought that was cuts from other movies. I, I was too <laughs> young to realize, like, no, this is just a movie of this. Uh, it wasn't until later that I, I watched it for the boobs, Liam. I have to admit. Oh, one hundred percent. But mm-hmm. um, but it wasn't until later that I watched um some other collections. Though one of the first collections I watched was uh, Moron movies. I watched a, a f- quite a few Moron movies, which is actually more less of a cut together mixtape and more of a random weirdo making little movies in his home and putting them out um, right but that was sort of my into that kind of underground video world uh to be honest though i just didn't know that many people who were stoked on it so i would see a few things here and there in fact my stepdad uh he his uh so my stepbrothers they knew some of those things so i, I occasionally saw some things that they had access to but that was about it. Most of it was just things I knew existed, but I didn't know how to see them. I would just hear about them. Uh, and I didn't really get into sort of learning about more of them until years later when people started uploading them to YouTube or right. even before YouTube, you could see them on uh, some of those other random uh, video websites. Uh, and I would find them on there and be like, oh, this thing. Uh, but the 
big thing I was very familiar with was the trailer show that one of right. the first things I remember going to that was like, this is a cool retro movie thing was people who would just show trailers. They just said, yeah, we're going to do a trailer show. And that was great for me because um, I'm sure it existed, but I was just less familiar with the online conversation around exploitation and other kinds of like obscure sure. cult movies i just didn't know about that world so i didn't i wasn't up with that so i would be watching these trailers being like what are these insane movies and some of them were things that people probably are very familiar with now but at the time i just felt like suddenly my world had exploded uh and, and in a couple places things that felt you know i i guess this is just an example of me being stupid but it just mm. didn't occur <laughs> to me that I would see the sorts of movies that were on MST3K like in the real world. So the first right. time I went to a trailer, John, and Mitchell was one of the movies. And I was like, right. oh, right, Mitchell's a real fucking movie. That's not <laughs> a fake thing they made up for MST3K. That's a movie that exists in the world. And it turns out has fans, have people yeah. who just like it. And I was like, oh, sh holy shit, what? And that sort of was the first time for me that I kind of connected the dots on this thing. It was like, oh, wait, MST3K has already exposed me to a certain level of cult film, and now these trailer shows are exposing me. Maybe I need to try to find them. And it, it took me a while to figure out how to because, again, I, I've never been much of a torrenter or known a lot about finding that stuff on the Internet. But, sure. But for a while, yeah, anything I could find, uh, not just on the early Netflix DVD rental, but you know, people forget this. There used to be competition for Netflix. There was like a, there was a place in Michigan called green, some green film or mm. green, whatever. And it was like, we're the artsy version of Netflix. And this is before <laughs> Netflix was streaming. It was all DVD then. And sure. I joined that shit immediately. And I was getting all kinds of weird stuff from them that now doesn't feel quite as weird. But at the time I was like, what is going on? Send me all of these things. <laughs> It's uh, it's interesting because I don't know if our paths were that similar in regards to how we got into the idea of, of cult and exploitation cinema. Certainly when I was a teenager, I would read everything I could about horror movies once I was into them, which is probably when I was about you know, 13, 14, 15 years old. And I would just read like any guide. I would check out all the horror movies. If there were books about it, I'd always read them. And But it was very much with the uh, perspective that, boy, this movie sounds great. It's a shame I'll never get to see it. Because that's how I felt. Because there was just no way. And as the internet became more popular, you could actually mail order uh, movies, of course, uh, from different companies. Some of them maybe not entirely legal. But I couldn't afford to do that. I, I got a couple of, of movies that, that way. I remember very clearly finding a compilation video called Film Gore. I don't know if you've ever heard of this one, Liam. No. So Film Gore is from 1983, uh, though I didn't see it until the 90s, and it's it's an Elvira-hosted compilation of horror clips that is very similar to this, right? It just every once in a while, it'll cut back to Elvira, and she'll say something uh, ostensibly funny, and then they'll go back to the clips. And this was the first time I ever saw clips from... Blood Feast. It was the first time I ever saw clips from 2000 Maniacs. It was the first time I ever saw clips from more obscure movies like Drive-In Massacre. And it was the first time that I ever saw clips from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre because none of my local video stores had the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. They all had Texas Chainsaw Massacre too. But this was the first time I ever saw actual clips from it. And it was exciting to see this compilation of these movies that I had never been, been exposed to, even though I had read about them and heard about them previously. It was it was a real uh, kind of necessary exposure at that time. 
that at least I could get a taste of what these movies were actually about outside of just descriptions, which is exactly what I think Filmhouse Fever is supposed to provide in this particular case. But it's not clear what you're watching. <laughs> I mean, I guess we'll get into the content a little bit more. but It is strange here because that, that in film gore, they would show uh, like maybe like a, a like a five or seven minute condensed version of these movies, just clip after clip after clip. In this one, you're just getting clips from all over the place, and every once in a while they'll put a title on the screen, but most of the time they don't. <laughs> and sometimes the title is a joke, and sometimes the title is referencing like an actor that's that appears. So here's the thing: this movie, Filmhouse Fever, is in some ways a con. Right, it does have originally filmed footage with Steve Buscemi and Mark Boone Jr., but it's it, it exists mostly so they can put out a box uh, that says you know starring uh, Charles Grodin, starring David Carradine, starring Jamie Lee Curtis, because some of these these famous actors appear in the clips that they're showing within the movie, and it's it's just a way to kind of trick people <laughs> into watching this compilation of cheap previously existing material with you know what maybe 10 minutes of new wraparound footage yeah it's it's sort of uh uh and the part of it again we'll get into this a little bit more but it's worth noting it's not all original stuff they repeat themselves too it it, it feels like they really only have no matter how many movies they have they really only have 30 clips that they're like in some cases (laughs) chopping up and showing you again but not in a so at times it flirts with like an abstract video art style like i don't know how much people are familiar with this but um there are people who chop up existing images to create new things sometimes that thing is narrative but most time it's not it's like interpretive there might be music or some sort of rhythm or you know using juxtaposition as a way to present something and this movie flirts with that but never really gets there it just Mm -hmm. chops things up because they don't have enough full clips that's right it's out of necessity as opposed to any sort of artistic ends uh, yeah. Are we going to start talking about how much we didn't or did love this yet? What's what, When do we get into talking about the, the good and the bad? So one thing I wanted to mention is that the kind of, of exploitation movies that you see on display in this movie are exactly the things that would later appear in the Something Weird archives. So when you see the Herschel Gordon-Lewis movies... Uh, or the Al Adamson movies, they show Dracula versus Frankenstein here, and and other movies of the 1960s and 1970s of that ilk. Something weird became the name that that was later connected to that. But at the time that this came out, I mean, I imagine that a lot of this material, even if it is a little bit limited in terms of the clips that they have available to them, what, you know, a lot of people were being exposed to this for the first time. And I think that there is value to that, though that value may not. In fact, it probably doesn't continue into the year 2020. Yeah, I mean, if if the humor on the inter bits worked, I think the clip thing would be feel different. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. Now, Liam, tell me what were your thoughts watching the entirety of the one hour of Filmhouse Fever? Oh man. Okay, so <laughs> um, <clears throat> there are a few. So really, what ends up happening is, um, uh, at least in my experience with it, was that. Um, the clips of movies where the movie is interesting for me, um, whether I've seen it or not, that those work even though the jokes around them have no weight whatsoever. So there's a there's a 
there's some scenes from Rocktober Blood, for example, that I've I've never gotten to see Rocktober Blood, and I was like, oh, that's sure. kind of cool. There's mm-hmm. obviously some Herschel Gordon Lewis stuff, and you know, um, some other more gory uh, '70s and '80s films. Sure. As soon as we cut to a '50s whatever, unless it's the completely insane nudist movie (laughs) or any of those sort of like weird you know nude panic sort of things uh all the other 50 stuff that's just not my vibe i've never really gotten into the 50 sci-fi horror stuff and so every time the whole thing grinds to a halt for me and i'm like what is happening why are we watching this um however just at the point where i felt like the whole thing was starting to get repetitive and boring there's a a section of um stuff featuring bruce campbell um mm-hmm. i guess just the one features bruce campbell but because he's not in toro 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 is he i don't believe so okay but this you know they're, they're directed these are the josh becker movies right yeah so yeah so f- for those who don't know what what we're referring to now before sam raimi made the evil dead him and josh becker and scott spiegel they would all make eight uh super eight movies and they were actually would we'd even present them to crowds of people at the time uh, in I guess in in Michigan, and for very a very long period of time those were not available to the public at all. But some of them actually appear in this compilation. The Cleveland Smith bounty hunter clips were so good, and as soon as they start, almost immediately, almost immediately, with uh, Bruce Campbell hamming it up in the most. Uh, hammy Bruce Campbell way and I knew it was him even though I didn't know these existed like I kind of knew they existed like I read his book whatever so I know these things are there but I didn't know anything about them so I was like what is this guy on the dinosaur head do that's Bruce Campbell oh my god that's Bruce Campbell what's going on right now and I had to like rewind and like start over just to pay attention to those clips which there's not a ton of them I don't want to make get people's hopes up that they should get this thing if they're a huge Bruce Campbell head but there's enough in there that I, I really appreciated it and it's funny because both Toro 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 and um, Cleveland Smith Bounty Hunter are uh, mocking in a way. You know what I mean? Like they're like they're absolutely. Sort of, you know, so having them among things that are just as ridiculous but completely sincere sort mm-hmm. of creates a weird feeling. But I kind of liked it as a juxtaposition, and I found those juxtapositions of that material with other more sincere material some of the most interesting parts of the movie. Um, the part some of the parts that actually i thought were weird and you you uh i think i don't know if you mentioned this yet but there's um there's a sword and sandal movie with uh uh carity yep that's the warrior and the sorcerer yeah that's that's what i i I was thinking um it feels weirdly am i wrong did you feel like this was that those parts were weirdly out of place with the rest of the film that and the clips from Snowline, a.k.a. Texas Godfather. I mean, really, anything that looked like it was from the 80s yeah. seemed a little out of place. Oh, super, the because, suburbia clip. Although it's very quick, the suburbia clip. But yeah, that also yeah. felt like, what, the, what, are you, what is this doing here? I don't understand what's happening. And it, it, it doesn't feel like it's there to promote like currently available movies at the time. It just feels like, oh, we also have this available. But they don't. They sit really kind of uncomfortably from a clip from like The Wizard of Gore. And then you have a clip of... Um, of like yeah, people shotgunning people from Snowline, and it it just sure. doesn't seem to fit together. I mean, again, not that there's a consistency to any of this stuff, and even the like you said, the jokes from uh, Steve Buscemi and Mark Boone Jr. Uh, you know, scare quotes around jokes. Um, it it does feel random, like they have no idea what you're seeing. 
They just yes. sat there and said a bunch of stuff. And then someone came in and edited that stuff together. Um, and I think, by the way, Liam, I think that's really important to kind of reinforce because if you are thinking that this is going to be like comedians cracking wise at no, old film clips, no. like a mystery science theater type thing, or, or even an Elvira type thing, that's not what this is because they're never explicitly referring to the clips. It really feels like they didn't even know what the clips were going to be when they filmed their footage. Yeah, it, it's definitely, they're not responding to anything. They're just sort of goofing on each other. And the goofs don't work for 97%. <laughs> the opening works, the whole driving. By the way, what a weird driving sequence. It feels like they're driving from the Queen, from Queens to the Bronx. Like, it's clearly New York, If I feel like. <laughs> but they're not driving in manhattan like they just couldn't afford manhattan like i don't know what the deal is but they're driving from one obscure neighborhood of new york through a vaguely <laughs> recognizable queens i think and then to another obscure neighborhood there's no shots of any buildings it's, they're not doing that thing that people always do when they're in new york of like here's the skyline or here's a recognizable <laughs> it's just they're in a city it's probably new york i don't know it whatever it is and but it's funny but it's very funny it it, it works and then i wouldn't they, know if i i don't know if i go with very funny i but laughed the, i thought it was the fun. movie the movie is certainly enamored enough with that sequence because they somehow add it into the montage of in. clips yes. Yes. at they the end of the movie it it's like in. the highlights of what you just saw include some footage that i shot for this new movie the big joke by the way of this rapid uh drive from their apartment to uh, the movie theater includes them driving by a man and a woman on the side of the street, and because they're going so quickly, somehow Steve Buscemi ends up in a dress. He, they're clothes. They have their clothes. Yeah, their clothes are the people that they drive by, like a cartoon. Yeah, that works. That's funny. That's great. Jesus Stop. Christ, Liam. Stop. Stop. <laughs> I thought it was fun. I was like, huh, all right, this is a goofy thing. I could see this is, you know, this is kind of cartoony. It's going to keep this vibe. And then they get to the theater and like, you know, anything shot in the theater is pretty cool. And then the clips start and you're like, all right, what is, I mean, it really feels like obviously this, the driving sequence took some work. So that's yeah. probably a day, mm. right? At least a day. The theater stuff, that's a half an hour of work. At most, maybe less. It's it's just nothing. The theater is nothing, and then they just edit it in, and then it culminates in the theater's full of zombies. I guess I don't know okay. what they are. Yeah, and then so let's explain this, theater. and that's it. <laughs> let's then it's over. So um, just just a heads up, by the way, Liam. As you're getting excited there, I'm hearing a tapping sound. I don't know if you're knocking against the microphone. I'm actually. definitely tapping the table, and I apologize, okay. but I'm making very important <laughs> points. Okay. That's important for everyone to know. So, yes, we already talked about how, how the movie opens, but the ending is the other originally shot material, and it involves our two leads, <laughs> Steve Buscemi and Mark Boo Jr., they suddenly become aware that basically they tap someone in front of them in the theater saying, hey, isn't this great? And the person looks back at them and they're wearing zombie makeup. And then they look around and the entire theater is full of, of not well made up, but, you know, clearly zombies. The zombies then start to chase them. They all run out of the theater. They go to the concessions because they find that the front doors are locked. The concession guy is also a zombie. We then see them get attacked by zombies, and the movie ends with them sitting in the theater, and they are now zombies, Liam. So what did you think of this ending? It felt entirely half-assed, which is uh, 
a shame because I think that's the only other place where you've put some time into the movie is the ending. <laughs> and um, uh, it just doesn't really go anywhere. It doesn't really, I don't know. I, I'm being too harsh. It, it's actually thematically fine with the rest of the movie, which is also kind of random. But it, it just would have been cool to have some sort of either the ending, if it had some sort of gag. Like there's no jokes for the whole end of the movie, even the sort of bad jokes they've been making earlier on. There's no attempt at humor, really. And uh, and then it, it's also not actually creepy. Like it would have been cool no. if it suddenly switched gears and suddenly it's kind of creepy at the end, which is not that I mean, not that we'd be actually scared as horror people, but like an attempt to be serious. And it doesn't do any of those things. It tries to play it for like a fun whatever, but then doesn't have any humor in it. And it, it just sort of is like, well, we got to end somehow. So now we're done. Uh, you know, I don't want to be too harsh on this thing. It literally is the cheapest possible thrown together <laughs> compilation of clips. So I, you can't expect anything to whatever, but even on that scale, it could have just, you know, if anyone listening has ever seen a horror host, you know, there's a model for doing this. Like this yes. could be the Elvira version of this, let alone any number of other uh, horror hosts would be so much better, would be just at a next level. And you've got two gentlemen who are fun and funny and who can definitely, uh, deliver on laughs when they need to and y they're just there they don't do anything and it's it's kind of like again i don't want to hold this to too high a standard but i was a little frustrated with 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 how it ended it's <clears throat> it is half-assed just like you said and also it's not set up like the first segment doesn't have any suggestion of any sort of supernatural thing going on it's just basically a way to get out of what they've set up and uh, and and I guess you know it is thematically consistent with a lot of the horror movie clips that are being shown, but it's not like there's a bunch of clips of zombie movies within that. It reminds me a little bit of the trailer for uh, George Romero's Day of the Dead. I don't know if you remember that trailer, Liam, but it, uh, there's the, it, they actually have uh, original footage in that trailer of like a zombie in a movie theater munching on popcorn and things like that. Yeah, uh, and I I wonder if that was a direct inspiration of what they decided to go with here. But uh, yeah, not a big fan of really. <laughs> my, I'm not really a, a big fan of, of the clips that they necessarily chose from the movies that are presented in this movie, and I'm not necessarily a big fan of the original footage that they created for the movie. But I still like the idea of this movie. I know that's kind of a weird thing to say, but what you know, I do love these kind of compilations. I like that they exist. I do find like they have. Um, because they're very much a product of when they came out, that there is a nostalgic aspect to revisiting them. And this one is a particular oddity simply because the two actors, which I imagine were just grabbed because they were available, because they were doing these kind of comedic routines and were very comfortable with each other, that both of them went on to significant fame, really a lot more fame than most of the people that are that are listed on the front cover of the, uh, of the movie as being celebrities. It's true. Liam, what do you think of Steve Buscemi in Filmhouse Fever? I like that he is doing absolutely no work uh, to alter his accent. This is one <laughs> of the most New York, New York, uh, uh, Steve Buscemi we, we've gotten. Uh, it's not exaggerated either. It just feels like this is how a young Steve Buscemi talks. Yep. Um, young Steve Buscemi is, in my mind, very pretty. It's funny. When he entered the national consciousness, uh, a sure. lot of my friends thought of him as a weird-looking gentleman, and I, and I think that that's 
probably true in some of his work that that's how they film him. But actually, I think Steve young Steve Buscemi is very handsome, uh, and and I get why that might be weird for people. But watching it, I was reminded of that. Also, mm-hmm. Mark Boone Jr. If you haven't seen Trees Lounge, there's a ninety percent chance if you know who he is, you know him as a giant hairy man from <laughs> yeah. Sons of Anarchy. And so it's hard. Oh, to... I was thinking from the from the Batman movies, but oh, yeah, yeah, also absolutely. The ba- no, also true. Batman movies just as much. But that's what I'm saying. He's entered. He's become more well known now in his latest iteration which is large and hairy and uh-huh. this mark Boone jr is not that at all no uh and and has sort of a fun punk vibe that yes I was like absolutely very stoked on. very much he has kind of like a beastie boys thing going yeah, on here it's kind of cool and 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 it sort of highlights with steve buscemi is dressed in this sort of classic weird suit bow tie suit mm-hmm. that i don't yes. understand it's like a kfc colonel sort of suit but in polyester <laughs> and it's so good the two of them i just think again if you're if i'm really honest there are no jokes in this freaking movie oh there is remember when mark Boone jr looks in the mirror and it's like a skeleton thing that uh... looks back <laughs> But you know what I mean? Like, there's nothing really that lands. But I actually find them charming for a chunk of it. Like, I, when it starts off, I'm like, I'm so in for this. They're having a TV party, Black Flag reference. They're just <laughs> chilling there, being waste of flesh. And now they're going to go to an all-day film thing, and they're so goofy about it. I loved it. I, I was so on board. And it's only by towards the end that it starts to wear on me. But I don't think that has anything to do with our man Steve. I don't think Steve is you know doing anything wrong here i think he's doing what he's being told to do the fact that no one bothered to write anything for this thing is not his fault there is some real appeal in going from trees lounge where both mark Boo jr and particularly steve buscemi are these established you know stars um and established presence in hollywood films and now going back to 1986 where they're both kind of starting off they both are kind of baby faced a little bit and there's this oddity where both of them are together and then they would continue to appear together for the rest of their careers and have continued i should say and that you know it's really nice that this exists as sort of a time capsule for them and for that relationship so we can we can kind of bounce from that going forward now this was not the first movie that they did together. This is the second movie that they appeared in, if you can call this a movie. They were in a movie in 1985 called The Way It Is, which eventually we'll get to on this show. But, you know, as I I never thought when we started the idea of this podcast that it would also be, in some uh, capacity, a examination of this relationship and how it has branched throughout their respective careers. But so far, that's kind of what we've been looking at, and I think that's kind of nice. This movie is not very good. Uh, it's not very fun to watch. The clips are not great. The The material for the two of them is not that good. But it is still interesting to see that interplay. And if you are a fan of Steve Buscemi, you almost have to check it out simply because, how you know, seeing a young and absolutely, you're, you're 100% right, Liam, a young, attractive Steve Buscemi, uh, still very recognizably Steve Buscemi, uh, in this role is still it's really interesting. It's really unique, and it's kind of fun to go back and see that. Uh, right now, by the way, Filmhouse Fever is at the time that we're recording this available to watch on YouTube. I can't promise that that will always be the case. I believe it's also it was on Shutter. I don't know if it still is on Shutter, but this is out there in the world, so you can check it out. Um, though I think the most appropriate way to watch it would be on an old VHS tape. That might be the best way to appreciate it. But uh, when all is said and done, Liam, would you give a recommendation for Filmhouse Fever? 
I think for the true Buscemi head out there, or 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 Shemster, I haven't quite figured out what to call the fan base yet. Uh, yeah, I think it's it's worth filling in your knowledge if you care about that, and if you're into these kind of movies, but only if you're the sort of person who uh, wants to see it to have seen it. If you're someone who is watching films for their entertainment value. I got to say, I don't think this is worth it. I think, you, you know, there's other things you could be watching with these two men in it that would be more entertaining and fun for you than watching this. Uh, let me put a big recommendation out there for the 42nd Street Forever compilations of trailers put out by... Very uh, good, very good. Yeah, th- th- those are worthwhile. Uh, there's the Trailer Trash compilations. There's a lot of, like currently available like jam-packed compilations of trailers for exploitation and horror movies and they're very worthwhile they don't have the commentary actually some of the the one of the uh, maybe even a couple of the 42nd street forevers have audio commentaries of people with expertise talking about these things but they're just basically a trailer 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 if you like this sort of thing you'll probably love that sort of thing so aside from an oddity uh and and because of the fun of going back and seeing these two performers there's a lot you can wring out of that. This is only an hour long. I'm going to give it a mild recommendation for people who are really into Steve Buscemi. For everyone else, you can probably give it a pass. But, uh, yeah, I'm really glad still that we checked out Filmhouse Fever because I love the idea that we're jumping around these eras of Steve Buscemi's career. And, Liam, speaking of eras, what are we going to check out on the next episode of How Do You Do, Fellow Kids? We're going to be talking about uh, uh, a movie directed by Jonathan Wax. Is that right? Wax? Uh, Wax. Uh, Called Ed and His Dead Mother from 1993. Woo, I was 14 at that time. (laughs) That's when I was 14 years old. Now, you have not seen Ed and His Dead Mother. I don't know anything about it, and I got to shout out a friend of the the show and of the network, uh, Josh Goldblum. Uh, creator, founder, and sole owner of the Cinepocalypse Film Fest, uh, <laughs> who just posted about this on Twitter, and I was like, "What is that?" And I watched a trailer and thought, "Well, we're doing a Steve Buscemi podcast. Let's talk about this thing because I don't even know anything about it." Well, I have seen Ed and His Dead Mother, and I think that we are both in for a treat on the next episode of How Do You Do, Fellow Kids, 1993's Ed and His Dead Mother. Liam, if people want to check out more. From uh, Cinema Smorgasbord or other podcasts available on the Cinepunks Network, how should they do so? Well, the easiest thing to do is head on over to Cinepunks.com. That's C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X.com. They can also follow Cinepunks uh, on Twitter and on Instagram or find our Facebook group, which is called the Cinepunks Fun Time Hangout Group. Uh, all are, are great ways to keep up with the website. They can also go straight to our website, with it, which is uh, Cinema Smorgasbord dot com uh we have a twitter too right is that right a twitter it's at cinema smorg that's s-m-o-r-g you can also follow cinema smorgasbord on facebook just do a search for cinema smorgasbord join our group there get all the latest updates and make recommendations for the various themed podcasts we have including ones devoted to actors such as jackie chan such as of course steve buscemi vic diaz the filipino uh peter laurie uh and uh, of course the return of eric roberts is the fucking man redux uh which by the time this episode comes out should be out there in the world as well if you have other actors actors people who you feel should have their own podcast once you tell us that as well you can contact us through the website and of course if you want to just follow us individually to get that information you can follow liam on twitter it's what is that again liam at liam rules r-u-l-z and you can find me on there at doug underscore chili that's t-i-l-l-e 
why. But with that said, Liam, Filmhouse Fever, I don't think we're ever going to watch it again. What do you think about that? Yeah, I'm not really stoked on it. Well, we're stoked anyway, though, because it's part of Steve Buscemi's career. We're here to talk about Steve Buscemi. We are developing our Steve Buscemi expertise. You, Liam, and I have to give you credit for this, you have even been listening to Steve Buscemi outside of the context of this podcast, which means that your expertise is rapidly uh, uh, gaining on my own. When we come back very soon, we're going to talk about Ed and his dead mother. Join us then. Good night, everybody. Night. Who directed this? Who? Who? It's the guy that does all these kind of films. What's his name? Uh, what's his name? You know, you know what I'm talking about, right? What? The guy's great. The guy's done every one of these films. The guy stinks. No, the guy's a genius. The, he makes you think he stinks. That's his genius. You watch this, you say, this, this guy's is great. Yeah, yeah. This, yeah. Guy, this guy's great because he's terrible. You're gonna go home, you're gonna go, yeah, right. That guy was a genius. That guy, he's, he's brilliant. There's no other word for it.